Persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Borg. And Bill, it's Saturday night. Yeah. Live from Langhorn. It's Saturday night. Another Saturday night, and I ain't got nobody. I got some money because I just got paid. And you're in the Hotel California. And I'm living in the Hotel California. You're actually in the Hotel Ben Salem. Hotel Ben Overlooking. Salem. Can you see the lights of Parks Casino? I, well, I no, I have a bag. I have a nice, I have a nice view of a field. But if I was on the front end, I could see Parks Casino. You could see them. Considerable yeah. lights, yeah. So, anyway, so any of you potential stalkers out there, we just gave you my near geographical location. Yeah. So let me know if you're in, if you're stalker. Let me know. We'll we'll get a we'll hang out. Stalkers can be fun. <laughs> I mean, well, as unless things. they're real ones, right? Yeah. But, it's, by all, the way, it's all fun and games <laughs> until until it becomes the movie Misery. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. By the way, an interesting book. I can't think of the person's name. It was on this. Uh, uh, I listened to a bit of Terry Gross' uh, Fresh Air Weekend. A woman, she's an author. She's from Northern Ireland. She lives in Scotland. And she's a, she usually is a novelist. I should have the name. But he, her latest book is I Am, I Am, I Am. She's had 17 near-death experiences in her life. And she talks about them. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I'll check that book how out. Many, how many near-death experiences have you had in your life? I count, like, the, the near-life experiences. Like, geez, <laughs> life's happening, man. I've arrived. It's like, so, I, can't, I go so by that. Us being in the bunker on a Saturday night, that doesn't. This doesn't feel like a near life experience. <laughs> it's funny. Somebody I interviewed yesterday, great guy, Larry Rubin. He was like, you know, we had never met, and he's just a wonderful guy to talk with. But he was like, it's such an interesting space. I was like, yeah, it's not really made for videos. He's like, I could live down there. <laughs> it's like it's like one of me, the Morlocks, one of the Morlocks. <laughs> People, I have a fascination here at the bunker. You know, it is, it's interesting. Like, I feel like if you have not, like the live stream has changed perspective. And I think that like, because we, we've we not really known much else other than we were recording at the most echoey part of the house, it's not as like, it's just a thing. But like when yeah. you see it, it is, it is interesting. I mean, it's, yeah. The standing. It looks thing. like you could even, as I'm looking at it, it could be like the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, it does look more of like a studio than it is. Like if you're in it, it doesn't feel a studio as studio as it looks on the camera. Or it looks like kind of the beginning of the Twilight Zone. Too. Exactly. <laughs> if that was turned sideways, we could be. And if Rod Sterling was standing back there, it'd be awesome. And it does. Well, it'd be freaky if he was standing back there right now. But it does have the color scheme that's appropriate for our topic. There we go. So, which is. Ash, Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. I don't think we've ever done that in unison before. No. And this is a hat tip. That's what we say. We say hat tip two for giving this idea to us is Taylor Merton of, of Crackers and Grape Juice. All right. Thank you, Taylor. So he, uh, yeah, he, he had this uh, piece that I saw. It came up in my feed. Uh, this is uh, the... Case against ashes to go. And again, he's from our crackers and grape juice compadres over there. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to say over there. I like there. what we say over there. That's kind of sounds Bec- professional. Yeah, but it is over there. But where, I mean, I guess it is in greater DC. In Studio 17. In Studio 17. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess they're all located somewhere near. Yeah. Well, it's all relative. Relative. So. Yeah. 
But, um, yeah, it kind of got us thinking about, okay, Ash Wednesday. First of all, here the premise of his article was, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a relatively new phenomenon, I think. Uh, I had a colleague down on the Jersey Shore that did this, where they go out in public spaces and give you ashes. Parking lots, um, in front of grocery stores. I, I think someone was in front of a, a, a Dunkin' Donuts or somewhere I heard. So, but that, you know, so people could get ashes. Why not in front of the strip club? <laughs> well, in Asbury Park, that maybe. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't ask everywhere he went. Exactly. I mean, I feel like you, you know. Yeah. Well, well, it's, you know, you start early in the morning. If you if, if you're if you're there, it's like seven o'clock, and people are coming out of the strip club. They need they need more than ashes. Well, maybe you want an observant dancer. <laughs> maybe it's not for the yeah. clients, but for the dancers. So, at any rate, uh, he's against it. Right against parking lot giving ashes. Yeah, so I, yeah. I mean, Taylor. Uh, he's he thinks that this is. Um, yeah, I mean, he he recognizing that you know the culture, you know that we live in often makes church hard to get to, especially you know right. special liturgical observances, mm-hmm. and that this is you know we're frenetic and running around from one thing to the next, and. Other people he realizes think the ashes go as a sign of the church's willingness to catch up with the times and start digging itself out of its ditch of irrelevancy. But, he says, offering ashes devoid of a liturgy in which the practice is made intelligible is the equivalent of clanging symbol without love to steal an expression of Paul. That's I from, think he means St. Paul. Like, he's not Paul McCartney, from, Paul no, Zoll. That's from, that's from one <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary. One Corinthians. It's one Corinthians. One, Bill, which is your favorite Corinthians? <laughs> I say 50-50. <laughs> I like them both, yeah. yeah. But, um, well. I like the one where Paul is not angry. <laughs> wait. But that, he's angry in both <laughs> yeah, of them. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, first of all, one of the things we talked about was even wondering, okay, when did Ash Wednesday begin? We have multiple historical sources here. Uh and several all all from the internet all from the internet so and it's funny i don't you know i i haven't done i i, I have to admit i've not done a lot of work in liturgical history but um we had a couple uh sources uh professor duke and talked about the 11th or 10th century yeah 11th century but uh, in the 11th century this council of serve i forget what council is but they there also is this reference that a century before that there's some anglo some Anglo, I mean, a, a Catholic in England. England who is one of the people the Vikings used to push around. That's how um, I'm watching Vikings right now. But you know, it's funny it, thing about them pushing them around. Like then, like they would be raiding England, but then some monk would go to their country and convert them. Yeah, no, this it's is a, it's a great. It was wild. They, it's an interesting thing because they they talk about this in 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 the show Vikings, which is fantastic. Uh, so yeah, so. A century before that, that seems to be presumed. Mm-hmm. So, but actually, there's there's a couple sources where um, I mean, Lent, Lenten observing Lent goes back real early. You know, second century. It's mentioned at the Council of Nicaea, and I read a couple different sources that said that the actually the forty day fast beginning with Ash Wednesday was something that Gregory the Great, Pope Gregory, did around six hundred. So, anyway. he was making Lent great again. 
Making Lent great. By the way, we have a listener comment from Ohio, not to interrupt you, but Josh Redder says, he just listened to Crackers and Grape Juice. Fleming is not a fan. She's Is she like Madonna now? She just has, we just go by what? We're Fleming. Yeah, we just go by, or Beyonce. Certain certain circles. She's not a fan of Ash, Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. Cited Matthew 16, 617. By the way, I think I have By a By the quote. way, Jesus never celebrated Ash Wednesday. There yeah, we go. There is that her, is yes, that her he argument. Yes, he did. <laughs> He carried the King James Bible. That's why I said, but it's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. Uh, so this is, I think, this is, so this is, what, this is the comment to which Josh is referring to. All right, that, what does Jesus say? This is what Fleming says. Oh, I'd rather hear Jesus, but go ahead. It's pathetic. I almost want to read it in that. It's pathetic. Like, so Fleming's got the old Southern draw. It's great, but I won't. It's pathetic. I know people who do it, parentheses, people I admire, end parentheses. Is this people in the parking lot? <laughs> no, this is, uh, oh, wait, this is. What is she against? Uh well I think she's against the whole thing. Just I guess Ash Wednesday all all over. Yeah, I think so. I think this is so let's just say uh Fleming thinks it all sucks. Oh, all right, nice. Uh, there you go. So Josh, in fairness, Fleming is an Anglo Catholic. Yes, that's right. right, right. It's pathetic. It's I know people who do it, but people don't know why they're doing it. There's no message involved. Christianity's not just about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not enough. There has to be rectification of evil. When I grew up, nobody had ashes. Only the Roman Catholics did it, and we all thought it was superstitious. I personally don't like the ashes very much, unless it is done within the context of an entire worship service with a full and faithful homily. This homily is full and faithful. Remember the gospel says, wash your face. (laughs) It's really really weird to listen to that passage on Ash Wednesday and leave with a cross on your forehead after Jesus just told everyone to wash up. All right, so her argument against Ash Wednesday in part is because Jesus said to wash up. You know what Jesus didn't say, and I resent it to this day? Floss. Because I'm a big flosser, and that would have been helpful. Flossing is, you can have heart disease from plaque buildup. I I am such a big fan of flossing. Flossing's no, that's actually, that's true. Flossing is very important. So one other thing, well, Jesus didn't have, maybe Jesus didn't really have time to get to flossing. If he'd had a little more time, Flossie would have would have been. It would have been there. Well, All right, so there you go. Now, <laughs> what's nice about Fleming's statement is that there's no ambiguity there. <laughs> I would say one of the things I think that the uh, return of Protestants to some of these practices, and what's particularly ironic, or I think this is ironic. I said something earlier that I said it was ironic, but it wasn't ironic. <laughs> well, I just I didn't know. I was like. Is that coincidental? Like, I don't know. You, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you go through, we should go through it one day. Because this is a pet peeve of mine. People go like, oh, that isn't ironic. Or like, oh, I was just talking to, you know, Joe. And then I saw him at CVS. Isn't that ironic? No, it's a coincidence. Right. So we should go through an entire, every example in Isn't It Ironic, the song. Is it, by Alanis Morissette, and see what's really irony, right? And what isn't? Yeah, I don't know. Cra- the plane when the plane crashes, I don't think that's ironic. I think that's just bad. That's just bad. That's just bad. Um, what's but the uh, one of the symbolic beginnings of Reformation in different in different communities was uh, quitting the ashes. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things that's funny in Zurich uh, when you know they were gradually reforming. And one uh, Meister somebody, uh, as a protest against the fasting on Ash Wednesday, ate two sausages. That was his way of, <laughs> that was his statement. And the forbidding of ashes uh, became, it was part of, uh, it was part of the Swiss 
Reformation is also part of what uh, uh, Cromwell did when Edward the was he the sixth Edward the sixth was reigning during that period when they went right before Mary of Tudor took over right after Henry the eighth died when it was really a probably the most Calvinist time of the Anglican Church Ash Wednesday was uh, abolished during that time Verboten Verboten yeah but you know one of the things I think that is interesting to me is what is making Protestant churches, certain Protestant churches, go back to these practices. I think what I was talking to you before, every church I've served, I think um, I'm the one who started the Ash Wednesday service. And that was what you were saying is perhaps ironic. Well, I, again, I can't remember. I was saying something else that made it ironic, but why was it be that started all those? But given my theology, it's probably not that ironic. Uh, <clears throat> but I do see it's in a lot of different traditions. And these, this was Presbyterian in the Reformed tradition. Um, um, Bobby Bobby Grow, by the way, commenting from California. Let me, let me just throw that up there for you, Bill. Yeah. I'll have to read some Fleming. I agree with her, it sounds like. All right. What what year, though, of Fleming would you would you like? I like um, uh, Peggy. Who was the ice skater? Peggy Fleming? Peggy Fleming. Peggy Fleming. <laughs> she's my... Uh, Peggy, she's, what, the, the early Peggy Fleming. The early, early Fleming. No, I, I actually think part of the Protestant return to some of these practices... Uh, and even spiritual disciplines, the talk of spiritual disciplines. It was a, you know, Richard Foster, an evangelical Quaker of all people, was one of the persons who kind of brought back, at least popularized in evangelical circles, something that was already happening in, in Anglican and in other circles, the rediscovery of classic spiritual disciplines. And I actually think it's part of, um, it's part of, um, it, it's part of a hunger that I think it represents a hunger, um, uh, or searching of reconnecting with tradition, as well as I think kind of, I mean, some, I experienced the charismatic movement the same way. I think they were kind of a reaction to some of the kind of rationalistic um, practices um, of of what's going on, you know, in, in kind of Protestantism. And I think the need for symbols, the need for concrete activity, I think there's something about that that's expressed in these kind of rediscovering these, these, these old practices. Yeah, I think that, I think that is the case. I mean, I think... I think there's a sort of twin, like, so I think that there are some people for whom there's a a kind of Protestant uh, ressourcement, you know, back to the sources, and and there's some of that's been through the ecumenical movement, some of that's through scholarship, biblical biblical scholars and and historians and fellowshipping cross traditions and developing a growing appreciation for these things. Some of it is vacuous. Like some of it is sort of the, the kind of like, Hey, uh, this isn't as interesting. I like that outfit. That's a cool costume. I I mean, I I think some of it is definitely that. Well, I remember talking to one of my, uh, a colleague years ago and, uh, he said, we're doing commune every week. And I was excited. I said, that's awesome. Why are you doing it? He goes, marketing. (laughs) And my excitement immediately immediately ended there. It worked great for on the Last Supper. It was a great marketing tool. <laughs> <laughs> really took Jerusalem by storm. <laughs> One of Jesus' um, uh, best, uh, you know, best uh, marketing moves. Oh, very nice. Bobby Grow has told us, by the way, via our Facebook, writing feed. on Gerson. That's that's how, that's that's really interesting. I, I'm from uh, from from be, from is that being the beast? No one strong like Gerson. No, no one's tough like Gerson. Different different Gerson. I would be interested in reading that, Bobby, when you're done. Um, but no, I, I find, I, I think for instance, if, as long as it's done out of freedom and with, I, I agree that uh, with the proper 
liturgical setting, meaning it should be done in the in the context of the of the community of faith with with teaching and understanding. I remember when I first brought it back. Uh, I had an Ash Wednesday service at Media Presbyterian, and my uh, pastor of visitation was actually a person who had been the pastor there in the 60s. And he was, I mean, here's a man that fought both in World War II and in the Korean conflict, uh, was a great guy. He represented, you know, the best of that kind of church growth that happened in the 50s and 60s. And I can remember, <clears throat> I said, I want to do this, I want to do Ash Wednesday service. And they said, are we going to pose ashes? I go, yes, but we'll make it optional. And I could just look across the room at the I love how the, the, the word impose, because I mean, it is grammatically impose, but we're like, we're going to impose op- ashes. Optional. optional. <laughs> <laughs> ashes yeah. imposed. Optionally, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> you know, I looked, I looked at Don, and he looked, you know, he looked disturbed about it. And I, so I talked to him afterwards because I respect him. I go, Don, are you, you know, you don't have to come this if you don't want to. He goes, no, it's all right, it's just different. All right, the day of Ash Wednesday, I walk into the church, and <clears throat> and it smells like someone's smoking pot. And so I follow the smell. And, no, that's marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I smell the smell. And my 70-plus-year-old visitation pastor is burning ashes or burning palms in the kitchen. <clears throat> and he said, I said, what are you doing? So I, I said, first of all, I said, Don, are you smoking pot? And he laughed. I go, but then he goes, well, if we're going to do it, we should do it right. And I, so I thought that was, to me, uh, and it, it actually became a very, uh, you know, it, was, it became a, you know, a service that grew every year. And um, so I think part of it's the freedom. I mean— I'm I, I, here. I'll give a plug out to Luther and Melanchthon, and I, I do think this is one of those areas of freedom. You can't don't peg Bill Bohr. Don't try to peg him. Don't you <laughs> people that think you know what's going on? You know. Well, yeah, I think you know Luther when he comes back. You know, when Karlstadt is making all these radical changes, I think one of the one of the strengths of Luther, and, and I think even you know even more so Melanchthon is understanding well. There's there's value, and you know we, we're tr- I mean, but I had a friend today, Matt Tebby, who I hope to introduce you to soon. You know, we're talking a little theology today and talking about some of the problems in the tradition you and I were talking about earlier today in our human conversations. Our human's conversations. And so I said, this is part of what his, you know, I found attractive about Luther because I was talking about some of the Christology stuff we were talking about. Right. He said, just tell me what you're drawn to in Luther. Is it the justification stuff? Is it law gospel? Is it the anti-Semitism? I was like, oh, you had, he had me in anti-Semitism. <laughs> and that was really <laughs> true me. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, it's a wide territory. There's a lot to deal with there. <laughs> <laughs> you had me in anti-Semitism. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon. 
of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, Ben Crosby, John Schneider, Steve Lipless, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah, but I, you know, for me, I think, um, of course, we've said this before. There are, uh, I think, certainly, we'll talk about uh, Fleming. Fleming is in this category. There are essential, what do you, how do you say, essential? Essential pro- Protestants and accidental Protestants. Protestants. Yeah. Peter Lightheart is an accidental Protestant. I think I'm an accidental Protestant. As am I. So yeah. that means, like, I could... If in you know, in in a different time and place, I could be in communion with the Bishop of Rome, and you know that would be you know it, it's not it's not there are some people that that would could never, never do that never could so it's just it's just a matter of like certain issues of of faith and practice that but right still, now there's still a few things I'm protesting yeah yeah I mean, yeah I'm, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to swim across the Tiber and we've made it clear I don't protest in winter that's right so. not not a shot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I, uh, I, I think I, maybe I probably said this on the show before. I have a great friend, and she's a, a sister, St. Joseph, great, great scholar, great soul. And we were talking. I said, you know, my trouble is I could be Catholic, but I'd be a bad Catholic. So you can't, you can't like join and say, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, what do you, what do, you, what do you really want from that question? Uh, I don't know. You know, you can't be a cafeteria Catholic. Yeah, you can't come in and start throwing around, you know, be a bull in a china shop. No, no, you gotta you gotta buy into it, so more or less. But yeah, so I think there's this, to me these re yeah, re it's kind of like uh, suddenly uh, certain worship leaders have rediscovered that there might be some good hymns that were written and just replaying them and doing some different arrangements. There's some pretty amazing words that have been written, and I think I think some of these practices um, that are certainly not mandated but can help us understand and go deeper into the life of Christ. I even think, you know, following the liturgical calendar. I mean, I didn't, I had to learn the liturgical colors for my ordination exam because I didn't, I didn't grow up knowing any of that stuff. Matter of fact, I had to learn the Apostles' Creed when I joined the Presbyterian Church because I never, we never, I never grew up saying it. But I think all these things in, in, with instruction, it's like everything. With, if you properly have instruction and you give people freedom, I mean, even the idea of giving. I bet things, you ace polity because if you know civics. No, yeah. You open the book, yeah, like, oh, it's just like the Constitution. To, to, to the great, <laughs> yeah. to the great horror of, uh, Dr. Armstrong, Richard Arm, was it Richard Armstrong? Yeah, he was a professor of polity because a friend and I, we just sat in the back and made fun of it the whole time. And he was so excited when he handed me my final. But, you know, you read the Federalist Papers, you're there. <laughs> By the way, can I just say, would you um, be sympathetic to this position on Bobby's an essential, essential process? Right, yeah, yeah right, that's yeah. fine. There you go. We're not, we're not really, we're not, we're not picking the teams yet, but we'll make sure of it. We know <laughs> when we do that. We just put you move over. You get know. to be Bobby Grow. There we go. That'd be on that team. Yes. Uh, so you and the, and your uniform will be orange. Yeah, and he's in California. I don't know if that affects things time zones, but. Well, we'll 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 check out. We'll I don't figure. think I don't think being essential. I don't think the time zone matters if you're an essential Protestant or not. So let me quote Article Thirty Four 
of the 39 Articles, of the traditions of the church. 39 Articles of? The Anglican, Anglican church, church, yeah. What it, happened to the other three? Cramer had 42. Well, you There know. we go. Anyway, uh, what's 30? Go ahead. It is not necessary that, tra- that traditions and ceremonies be in all places one or utterly like, for at all times they have been diverse and may be changed according to the diversity of countries, times, and men's manners, so that nothing be ordained against God's word. Whosoever, through his private judgment, willingly and purposely doth openly break the traditions and ceremonies of the church, which be not repugnant to the word of God, and be ordained and approved by common authority, ought to be rebuked openly, that others may fear to do the like, as he that offendeth against the common order of the church, and hurteth the authority of the magistrate, and wounded the consciousness, consciences of the weak brethren. And then they say each, every particular national church has authority to ordain, change, abolish, ceremonies, or rights of the church, ordained only by man's authority, so that all things be done uh, to be edifying. That's interesting. I mean, that's a little tough on the conscience thing, and I think it's very British. I mean, as Americans, we would not. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, was, there was, it was a uh, contentious time. There were uh... Right, but, but I do think that there's a sense in which, hey, if it's not contrary to the Word of God, if it's edifying, if you could, you know, there's this sense... It's appropriate, but also other like two two different kinds of communities could see other things could see different kinds of things as appropriate, right? And I, we can't we also understand that people's your position is also shaped a little bit what you're reacting to. So you know the low church Episcopalians, I can you know they're kind of frustrated that there's sometimes there's all this ceremony but no theology underneath it or a very minimal theology, and I can understand that that sometimes. Um, that sometimes makes it, you know, harder to embrace something. But I think, but that's true too, right? Like I think I have, I mean, because the the kind of the kind of idea of like, oh, okay, the Protestant argument against. I just read a piece during our three minutes of research. <laughs> it's Protestant. Guy was like, well, if it's not mandated by Scripture, it's you know, it's uh, you know, the heart's a factor of idols, as Calvin said, and it'll, yeah. it'll get. But then here's the thing: like I've been to low church Protestant services that were seemed totally in the spirit of idolatry right like where where there were minors are not only made majors but are made things to excommunicate people and and weird i mean there's a i mean it's i mean i i heard an evangelical church a big one one of the biggest ones in this area pastor say hey look if you're pre-trib meaning you think that right that Christians for the rapture which i don't think there's going to be a rapture but if there is one you get out early you, you know you you got before if you're or post-trib. No, if you're post-trib, post-trib rather, trip, if you're right. post-trib, right? Lady, and let me tell you, you think God's God beats his bride, and then ladies, if you're here and you are engaged to a guy that's post-trib, if he thinks it's if he th- if you if he thinks God beats his bride, what's going to keep him from laying a hand on you? <laughs> I mean, these are things. Exactly. So these are th- superstitions, and I've been to high church. Uh, Anglo Catholic and Catholics that were totally done in the spirit of mercy, uh, of humility, oh, yeah. reverence, and vice versa. I mean, you know, yeah, so I, these things are not. No, the, the, the outward, no, they're not any indicators. I think, you know, for instance, I've, how about the worship team? Because suddenly that's, it's all about an idol, you know, in terms of what goes on around that. Uh, and these are churches that were supposedly built to be progressive. So we, we all, it's, it's, it's basic. What did you say? My hope is built on nothing less than what Schofield's. My hope is built on nothing less than Schofield's notes and Scripture Press. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but, I'm into uh, that. Yeah, no, but I think there's a sense where that's part of the freedom we have. I mean, one of the things that's been consistent from the beginning is whatever freedom Christ has given us, 
we're constantly trading it in, you know, yeah, for no, certainty, yeah. for things that make us comfort. We're willing, uh, you know, uh, there was a great Keith Green song, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, but you won't even get out of bed. I mean, you know, people have died for the faith, but we, it, you know, we are willing to fight and go to the mat for things that aren't essential. So I, I think we're all shaped by the things we react against. Uh, I think freedom— and Christ gives us an opportunity not to have to do that. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. In, in other words, to be open. And I think I'm I'm with you. I mean, some of the most powerful worship experiences I've had have been in traditions that are not the ones I grew up in or the ones I'm comfortable with, but have opened me up to different things. And 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 uh, you know, um, J. B. Phillips wrote that book. Your God is too small. I think consistently our church is too small terms of our vision theologically. So I think we should enjoy the freedom that we have. And you don't, if you don't want ashes on your forehead, you don't have to have them. So at any rate. I have two thoughts. All right. In conclusion. By the way, Bobby Grow commenting again from California on our Facebook live feed. It's, it's becoming more of a radio show, it feels like, with the live feed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Bobby says in ecclesiology class in undergrad, I'm, first of all, you had an ecclesiology class. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Now, what did they teach you? There's the next question. Now, what the prof called Catholicity builders who were required to visit different Christianists from our own and just observe Christ or not in these various contexts. It was a healthy exercise. I like that. So you were discerning the body. Yeah. Very good. I'm into that. Yeah. I, I feel like you and I could develop a cynical practice with something, I don't know. Right, that would not be good for ourselves. We don't need to. We don't need to practice cynicism. No, that's that's, maybe we should give that up for Lent. All right, all right. We'll think about it. So Nadia Boltz Weber says that Ash Wednesday is her favorite day of the church year, and Lent's her favorite season. She says that it's because that the culture's kind of ruined Christmas and Easter with Santa and the Easter Bunny, all the grotesque consumerism and all the made-for-TV specials. But nobody waits every year to watch the Ash Wednesday Peanuts special. <laughs> there are no doorbuster sales at 4 a.m. on the first day of Lent. There are no big garish displays in the middle of Cherry Creek Mall with mechanical children in sackcloth and ashes. Nope. <laughs> we get this one all to ourselves. Our culture has no idea what to do with a day that celebrates the fact that we all sin are going to die. But sin is strange enough one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm some, I sometimes greet my friends by saying, hello, sinner. It's a term of deep affection. I reclaim the word sinner. And then she goes on to say how... This is why it's weird to her that people call her liberal because of her insistence. But, you know, I think, like, there's something in Nadia's comments there I like and something I don't like in the sense of it. it I there's something about um, people with meaningless ashes. That's like it, it's interesting. Uh, I often think Bart late in his life rejected infant baptism. Right. And and. Right. Some of this is related to his understanding of election. And I think he, that's because he came under the influence of Fitch, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He became yeah. a neo-anabaptist. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, some of it was his fr- his friendship with his son, Marcus Bart. And, and some of it was, I mean, people like Bruce McCormick, great Bart's comment, argue things about his own understanding of election. But to me, Bart's understanding that all of humanity is elect in Jesus Christ is the best argument for something like infant baptism, right? right. Because no, I agree. because yeah. this this is helpless, and yet yeah. in Christ, and whether or not the the, the carried the, to the altar, there's this absurd possibility that they reject their election ultimately. Mm-hmm. Like they like they can't undo their baptism, then we can't forsake it. But I think something beautiful about like someone in the parking lot and people like because there is the sign saying that we sin and we die. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things I, I think I grew up in a very and even if you only get half of that, right? Even yeah. if you just have an intro, it's like something out of like a, a Flannery O'Connor. Now it's yeah. this person, you know, it's something like a post, like a zombie movie. So you're walking around like it's like when you get bit by the zombie, you know, you're turning or maybe you don't know it. Like, yeah, maybe you're even turning a little bit once you do some weird half witting thing of getting ashes. Well, I grew up in the northern end of the Bible Belt. Uh, every possible expression of evangelical Christianity and the few they made up was present. I don't know that I've ever heard that phrase, the northern end of the Bible. So we're talking... Franklin County, South Central Pennsylvania. Yeah, I know that. Okay, the northern end of the Yeah, I think it's the northern, because you think of the Bible about being lower. But this was... this was uh, And every possible expression of fundamentalism... Matter of fact, you had fundamentalists reacting against other fundamentalists who weren't fundamentalist enough. Every possible Pentecostal group, any rate, and one Catholic parish in this town. Uh, and you can tell, you can always, looking at architecture tells you a lot. When your Catholic church looks like a Protestant church, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're a minority. But uh, And in Lancaster County, almost every building in the past 40 years looks something like a barn. Like <laughs> Some part of it looks like uh, a barn. They think but a barn with like a big multi-purpose. The charm, in, the charm in that's lost to me. But at any rate, um, but I remember the Catholic kids having ashes. And doing that, I, it, it was something, again, and I— Never was in a church that did that. Uh, certainly was exposed to plenty of anti-Catholic teaching in some of the uh, circles I was in. But I remember feeling, you know, again, because uh, I was – some people – not my pastors, but I was involved in other groups that didn't think Catholics are Christians. And I just remember thinking, that's really gutsy to be, to be, to be willing to do that all day. Now, whatever the reason or motivation was, that's a different thing. But they chose not to wipe it off. And so I think – I, I like the idea, too. I mean, I like Anadia's quote. I mean, there's a, something about in this day and age where embracing that, um, same thing with people rediscovering a, a higher view of the sacrament. I think there is, um, there's something that our, that our age cries out for, um, incarnational acts. Yeah, it's interesting. Capon says the great thing about salvation is there's only one prerequisite, that you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so you can be raised. I mean, it's something about the identification with death at, at any degree. It, it seems to me like something along the way. So I'm not going to be in a parking lot on Wednesday. But if you're in Bucks County and would like to have ashes. I'll be there. Seven o'clock at Feasterville Community Church. Community Church. We're, yeah. we're, we welcome you there. Absolutely. Blessings to all of you. Have a great Saturday evening.
the talk is cute is the same And we should be together Let our passions find the love is flame Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When I for you, I almost passed you by You were so cool and calm, I thought my friends had lied But I thought so much reserve must make it wild inside To give me some of what you got. Well, I got a red hot heart. If the talk is from yours, is the same. And we should be together. Let our passions find love is fame. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
Smoking ash, she's baby. 